This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. And of course, today it is Thanksgiving dinner related. We want to know because, you know, we're all getting ready, hopefully, to sit down, have a nice meal on the weekend. Uh, Other than the turkey, we're leaving the turkey out of this. We want to know what is your favorite traditional side dish that would go along with that. Is it the mashed potatoes? Is it, if you're not Gordon McDonald, the Brussels sprouts? Is it the stuffing slash dressing or is it something else? And if so, tell us what it is. That's our hot question of the day. You'll find it online at CKNW or at Sarah 980 I disagree vehemently with Jeff who tweeted me to say mashed potatoes are a waste of space on your plate. Uh, he said, give me three helpings of homemade spicy Italian sausage stuffing any any day. I agree with you on the stuffing, but I would not go as far to say as mashed potatoes are a waste of space on my plate. No, no, there is a special spot for those on my plate every year. Cast your vote. You can email me, simi at cknw.com. All right, let's talk a little federal politics. Maybe we'll talk a little turkey too while we're at it because there's a couple of different things going on today. We are, what, 10 days away from the election and today's a big day for a couple of the uh, federal parties in that they are releasing their election platforms. NDP did it this morning. We will actually hear what their leader, Jagmeet Singh, had to say coming up in a few minutes. Uh, And later today, we will get the platform from the Conservative Party. I mean, it was back on October October the 7th, uh, two weeks before, you know, things really got going here, that the Conservative Party leader, Andrew Scheer, said that they would unveil their fully costed party platform with plenty of time for Canadians to review it. When we put forward our platform, it will be fully costed. Uh, We've uh, gone through the PBO process. They've looked at all our announcements. Canadians can look at it, see exactly where we're uh, going to leave more money in their pockets. They're going to see how we're going to cut corporate welfare and foreign aid to pay for the tax cuts that will help Canadians get ahead. And they will have that information with plenty of time before they vote. All right. So now that day is today, 10 days before the election. And advanced polling, advanced voting actually starts today and runs through Monday. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday are the days that you can go and vote. I know I'm going to be doing that this weekend. Now, Andrew Scheer is expected to announce his party's official platform later today, as I mentioned, but here in Metro Vancouver, Tawasin Springs, as a matter of fact. So why have they waited so long to do this? We're going to break all of this down now with the help of Global BC Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry. Good morning, Keith. Morning, Simi. Okay, first off, I'm just going to ask you our Thanksgiving question too, okay? Mm-hmm. Other than the turkey, what is your favorite thing to put on your dinner plate? The stuffing. Ah, oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we do, uh, for years, my, my brother-in-law does the turkey and the ham. I do, uh, <coughs> with help with the stuffing, I do the candied yams and the roasted Brussels sprouts. Now, does your stuffing have sausage? No sausage. It varies from year to year. It depends on whether our, our kids uh, are vegetarian uh, oh, that particular true. year or not, or whether they're vegan or something else. So it, it literally <laughs> changes on the, the, the diets of my nieces and nephews and my daughters. <laughs> right. I, I very, I'm very familiar with that, but you're, that's the number one answer that we're getting on our survey today, too. I agree. Oh, I, love, stuffing. I love stuffing and so gravy. Oh, right? Yeah. Don't even need the turkey at that point. No, no. In fact, <laughs> there's some. I, mean, I have minimal amounts of turkey. I just love everything else. I agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> it sounds like my dinner. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that with Karen McSherry coming up. Let's talk a little politics now with Keith too. Are you surprised that the Conservatives, Keith, waited and the NDP waited this long to release their platforms? 
No, not particularly. I, I think they both uh, uh, realize, I think everybody else does, people don't really start paying attention to this election until near the very end, particularly after that first big leaders debate. I don't think people were engaged in this uh, in this campaign at the beginning, and I'm not even convinced they're that engaged right now. But as we get closer to voting day, people, people start to pay attention. So it makes sense, I think, to release more details of your plan later in the campaign than earlier. Having said that, though, Simi, I'm not sure platforms really sway a lot of voters unless there's something really dramatic and different that's in it. I think it's still, because our campaigns are so leader-focused, I think that's what determines people's votes. It really comes down to um, their, their own history of voting for a party. I mean, some people will vote conservative or NDP or liberal because they've done that all their lives and they'll never change no matter what happens. Yeah. Others, though, I think it really turns on... Uh, the flavor of the day, the leader. Um, clearly, Justin Trudeau brought a lot of new people out to vote in 2015 that weren't there before. I know a lot of young people who excitedly told me they were voting for the first time, they were voting for Justin Trudeau. I'm not convinced that's going to happen this time with him. Uh, I think Jagmeet Singh very much uh, is attracting, or is certainly garnering attention, very favorable attention because of his performance on the English language, de- English leaders debate. And I think that may attract some young people as well. So I think people really gravitate towards the leaders or gravitate away away from them. Um, and that's why you see leaders, the focus of the, of the, of the campaign and the focus of attack ads. And right. it really turns more, I think, on those personalities than, you know, this tax credit or that tax credit or spending here or spending there. That's true. I was thinking back to the 2015 election and all the criticism that the Liberals got at that time because it wasn't a very fulsome platform, right? People were like, no. is this it? It was a couple pages. Yeah, no, it was very much, they ran a Justin Trudeau-focused campaign. It was very successful. He was the shiny new toy. Uh, he's not that this time, which is one reason I think the Liberals are running into a bit of bit of trouble right now, trying to galvanize that that voter base that was there for them in, in 2015. So, uh, you know, Jagmeet uh, Singh today had a had a platform that was very big on new spending, and that's going to you know it's going to attract some attention, particularly again the young people will probably like a. Um, a dental plan, a dental care plan that wasn't there before. Uh, he's announcing a big pharmacare promise. Uh, that's you know that's going to attract some attention. Uh, he's not balancing the budget, but neither is Justin Trudeau. And if Sheer comes out this afternoon with magically a plan to balance the budget, I don't think that's going to suddenly uh, cause voters to flock towards him that weren't there already. So I th- again, I think platforms take a backseat to the leaders and their personalities. Right, and I guess when you talk about attracting younger people, the NDP put something in their platform about uh, right away removing interest on federal student loans. That might be attractive to a lot of young people. Yeah, I think uh, that's that's going to be attractive. Elizabeth May is promising free tuition. You know, that would be attractive, I think, to a lot of young people or their parents who are paying that tuition. Um, but again, these lofty spending promises, I think, might get lost on a lot of people because, again, they look at the, the individuals that they're voting for in terms of a national leader. And I think that usually trumps, um, you know, local wallet concerns necessarily, unless, again, there's something significantly different. You go back to the B.C. election in 2017. The NDP promising to get rid of those tolls on the on the Portman Bridge. I mean, was, that yeah. obviously was music to the ears of residents in Surrey and Burnaby and New West and Delta, people who had to take that Portman Bridge every day and was costing them literally $1,200 
or $1,500 a year. So just like that, that was a big promise. But also, what combined with that was a relentless attack on Christy Clark. And that was, again, leader-focused, leader-focused. And that's why I think you see the ads now. You know, Justin Trudeau is not as advertised. That's an ad that's playing relentlessly because the Conservatives find it easier, I think, to attack Trudeau, the leader, rather than a particular policy, because he's such more more prevalent in yeah. people's minds. Has anything about the campaign so far surprised you? I would say Jagmeet Singh has surprised me. I think his uh, his campaigning style, before the debate, I went to a couple of events with him, out in the public with him, and I, I did not detect going into this thing the personal connection he would have with people. He seems to really have resonated with a lot of folks, just average folks. So I think that has the potential for to pay off for the NDP. And I've not seen any evidence that's moved the polling numbers for him, but certainly his personal attributes in the number of polls have gone off, and he's besting the other leaders uh, on that. So that that alone is probably the biggest surprise. I think I thought at the beginning that Sheer and Trudeau would play it safe and be pretty cautious, and that's exactly what they've been doing. And, right. Uh, I don't. It would be interesting whether any of them try to change the channel a bit in the last week because this is when people really sit up and take notice, and it's going to be interesting if messaging uh, changes. I know the NDP is changing its message on South Vancouver Island. They're worried the Greens are going to potentially take five ridings here, three of which are held by the NDP, four of which were held in 2015, and they're, they're suddenly attacking the Greens and Elizabeth May here in a leaflet that's sort of mass distributed, which attacks May on her comments of, on abortion and on her musing that perhaps propping up an Andrew Scheer government into right. power. So it, the messaging is going to change a little bit for these leaders, but uh, I think it's been a, a fascinating campaign, but kind of a dull yeah. one up until now. Oh yeah, it has been, but also I thought it interesting to note too, in recent days we're starting to hear about some I don't know, discord almost within the Conservative Party mm-hmm. as well, because it's almost like they expected Andrew Scheer to be doing better. Like, why is there still a stalemate with everything that's happened with the Liberals? Exactly. He's been getting some heat in the media. Now you got Peter McKay, the former cabinet yeah. minister, being involved in potential leadership aspirations. But here's another thought that's suddenly uh, uh, percolating out there. If the bloc Quebecois really starts to climb in Quebec and it starts to get an impressive number of seats there, what happens if... Trudeau falls short of a majority. He have, may have the most seats, but if the Conservatives have, uh, you know, second most seats, and they could combine with the Bloc to form a minority, oh that is something people are talking about now. And that's that wasn't in the conversation last week, and uh, that would be extraordinary if uh, if that were to be the development here. I think the consensus for many many people this was either going to be a Liberal majority or more likely a minority. But now is the prospect of a conservative minority aligned with the bloc coming into view? And um, who knows? I mean, it's, but that's another scenario that has it can't be ruled out right now. Do you sense an enthusiasm for voting out there in the people that you've talked to? No, I think uh, this election is occurring only because it's there on the calendar. It wasn't. I don't think the public was clamoring for an election. There haven't been huge crowds out at the rallies. But, you know, uh, you know, I know Trudeau today is out in Surrey and uh, Poco and Burnaby seem to be getting a crowd out there. I think uh, Shear's been drawing some small crowds. Jagmeet Singh's starting to get bigger crowds. He was mobbed at Ryerson University after that debate. I mean, he had hundreds of students out there yeah, I saw uh, that. with him. And if they turn into voters, I mean, that's that's going to be good, good news for him. So I think I think the attention and the interest is going to ramp up significantly in the, in the next week, but it hasn't been there up until now. All right, Keith, thank you so much. And listen, have a good uh, turkey dinner. Yes, enjoy that stuffing. I will, you too. That is Keith Baldry, our Global BC Legislative Bureau Chief, weighing in on federal politics for us today. Once again, a reminder, advanced voting starts today. So check your voter information cards. They'll let you know where you can go and cast your vote. 
Or you might want to wait a little while because maybe election platforms are important to you. Not everybody has theirs out yet. In fact, this morning, the NDP released theirs. Later today at an event out in Tawasin, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer will release his party's election platform. So maybe you don't want to go rush to vote today, but really you can do it this weekend after you get a look at those party platforms. So let's see what it is that the NDP are promising. Uh, Jagmeet Singh, their leader, outlined six priorities for an NDP government, and they include things like a national pharmacare and dental plan, uh, what they're calling a super wealth tax, a price cap on cell phone and internet fees, as well as tackling housing affordability and student debt. Here's some of what he had to say. First off, we're going to ensure that we build and put in place a national pharmacare plan that's public, single-payer, and delivers medication for all. With our plan, you use your health card, not your credit card, to get the medication that you or your loved ones need. We also want to bring in place a national dental care program. Our dental care program is going to lift up over 4 million Canadians who don't have coverage right now with immediate coverage for their dental services. We're also going to make sure that people can have a home that they can afford. And that means making sure we've got the money to build half a million new affordable homes. But we also tackle the root cause of why housing is becoming so expensive. We're going to tackle speculation with a foreign buyer's tax. We're going to make sure we go after money laundering with dedicated resources to tackle money laundering. For young people who graduate with massive debt, we need to immediately start working to alleviating that pressure. And so our first step is going to be to ensure that we waive all interest off of student debt. Instead of liberals and Mr. Trudeau who waived $6 billion in corporate loans, we are going to stand up for students and say students should not be profited off of. Their debt should not be profited off of. Four, we're going to work hard to make sure we have a bold plan on tackling the climate crisis. To those young people who have fear and despair in their eyes, I want to look them in their eyes and say we are going to fight with everything we have to make sure we build a plan that is bold, that is audacious, that is based on science and targets that are real and meaningful. We're going to end subsidies immediately on fossil fuel sectors and we're going to help workers transition from fossil fuels. And five, we're going to put in place a super wealth tax. We're going to work hard to make sure that the richest Canadians pay their fair share with a super wealth tax, a tax on those who have fortunes of over $20 million. And six, to help out families that are struggling with the cost of cell phone and internet, we are going to put in place a price cap on cell phone and internet fees. That's NDP leader Jagmeet Singh this morning uh, announcing the NDP election platform. Those were the kind of six priorities that they outlined there. He also said that their tax plan will not send investors fleeing the country. He says the plan will save businesses money on things like pharmacare. If you look at our plans, we're actually going to save businesses a lot as well. With things like universal pharmacare, it's going to reduce the costs for businesses per employee We've uh, approximated about $600 in saving per employee with this plan. So it's a savings for businesses. In addition, uh, we've met with Chambers of Commerce who've said that we want universal pharmacare. In fact, uh, in my riding of Burnaby, the Chamber of Commerce endorsed a plan for universal pharmacare. They believe it's a good plan. So it's good for businesses. Second thing is, 
Uh, we also met with Chambers of Commerce around Canada who said that one of their biggest struggles to expanding business is that they don't have affordable housing in their cities and people can't move to their cities or their communities to be able to work there. So those are two investments we're making which are going to help our business. But overall, if you look at the reasons why companies invest in a city or, or a community or a country, taxation is one reason, but it's not anywhere near the top reasons. And the top reasons are things that Canada excels at. Uh, having a skilled workplace, having a safe and secure and stable government, having uh, good services available for the people. These are the criteria that people look at, and we excel at all those. All right, that is NDP leader Jagmeet Singh this morning unveiling his party's campaign platform. You can find more information, of course, online. And as mentioned, the other party releasing the campaign platform today would be the Conservatives. Andrew Scheer is in the Metro Vancouver area today uh, making the rounds. Uh, He will this afternoon be out in Tawasin. And in fact, the campaign platform announcement will come at Tawasin Springs before he makes his way, I believe, out to, I think it's Crossberry Farms they're going out to to spend some time out there. So there's going to be a bunch of photo ops and announcements and things today. You will hear more about that, of course, on the news. But maybe you're one of those people who, you know what, you want to read every single campaign platform before you actually cast your vote. And hey, there's plenty of people out there like that. So uh, maybe advanced voting today is not for you. Maybe it is tomorrow once you can get a look at these new platforms that are being released. Once again, that does begin today, though. Check your voter information card so you can see uh, exactly where it is that you are able to do the advanced voting. And of course, we are 10 days away from Election Day, October the 21st. There will be lots of, I think, activity in the lead up. The polls seem to be tightening up a little bit. I mean, yes, we're still in the same position that we essentially were when we started, but there's a little bit of fluctuation, I think, particularly when it comes to the NDP. So it's going to be interesting to watch this next 10 days and see where we land on that. If you want to weigh in, send me at cknw.com. Our buzz line is 604-331-BUZZ. That's 331-2899. All right, better late than never. We are getting an idea of what the Conservative Party is promising if they are elected and form government after October the 21st. Uh, so Andrew Shear is here in the Lower Mainland today. He is out in the Tawasin area making this announcement and is in fact still out there discussing this right now. They're in the process of unveiling essentially what their platform looks like. So it's called Andrew Shear's Plan for You to Get Ahead. It is about 103 pages long or so. There's uh, chapters on jobs, climate change, and a, a pretty big section called More Help at Home. And that outlines their plans for all sorts of things, immigration, firearms, health, privacy, veterans, and more. So we want to give you an idea of what it is they have been promising. Have a listen to Andrew Shear. Throughout the campaign, I have announced several new ways my government will lower taxes and put more money in the pockets of Canadians. And today I want to highlight what that will mean for three different families many Canadians will be able to relate to. Consider the example of a retired couple living right here in Tawasin. Under our Conservative plan, they will get $2,580 back in their pocket every year to help them get ahead. Or the example of a family of four, soon to be five, in Montreal. A new Conservative government will put $4,642 back into their pockets. And one final example, a family of four in Markham. Each year, this family will have $3,264 more to put towards its future. We're the only party with a plan focused on you and on your needs. We're going to start by scrapping the Trudeau carbon tax that is making everyday essentials more expensive for Canadian families. If Justin Trudeau is re-elected, 
gasoline is going to go up 31 cents a litre. Well, the average cost of natural gas for a Canadian household is going to increase by $469. A new Conservative government will also introduce the universal tax cut, saving a couple earning average salaries $850. We will take the GST off of home heating costs, saving your family over $100 a year. We will introduce the Green Public Transit Tax Credit, saving a family of four who take transit up to $1,000. We'll make maternity benefits tax-free, putting up to $4,215 back in the pockets of new parents. We'll introduce the Children's Fitness Tax Credit, allowing parents to claim up to $1,000 for sports activities. We'll also introduce the Children's Arts and Learning Tax Credit, letting parents claim up to $500 for arts and learning programs. We'll expand the age credit, benefiting the lowest income Canadians the most and giving a senior couple up to $300 back. We'll boost government matching to RESPs by 50%, helping parents get more for their kids' education. And we'll introduce the Green Home Renovation Tax Credit, putting up to $3,800 back in their pockets, in the pockets of families doing their bit to fight climate change by making their homes more energy efficient. All right, this is just some of the announcement that Andrew Scheer is making right now out into Wasson, having to do with their uh, campaign platform, which they are putting out. It's 10 days to go till election time. In fact, the advance voting started today. I've had people emailing me today telling me they've already gone and done this. So a little, it's, it is a little bit late for them to be doing this, but there is still an opportunity for people to read it thoroughly so that they can balance it against the other choices that they have before going to cast your vote, which again, you can do starting today. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday are the advance voting days uh, just ahead, of course, the October 21st actual election. Now, I was taking a look at David Aiken, of course, our Global News Ottawa correspondent who has been analyzing and breaking down the Conservative Party platform. And he he took a look at the top three kind of savings slash revenue measures in the platform. And he said the first one is operating expense reductions. They expect to save about $22 billion over five years. Uh, they want to, I don't know what this means, but reprofile infrastructure spending. And I guess that's I don't, maybe cutting back on infrastructure spending, but they expect to save $18 billion over uh, five years. And then a, a CRA tax gap analysis and enforcement, they expect to save about $11 billion. What are their spending measures? What are the three big things they're going to spend money on? Uh, one, universal tax cut of 20, that'll cost about $20 billion. They want to make home energy bills GST free. That will cost about $6.7 billion and tax-free maternity paternity benefits, as you just heard Andrew Shear talking about there, uh, another uh, $4.6 billion. Now, the Parliamentary Budget Office also examined the promises in the Conservative plan and they always offer their assessment to each party's plans and, and some of them have gone well, some of them have gone not so well in that regard. And according to what David Aiken is saying here, the assessment of the Conservatives' plan to find $18 billion in savings over five years by deferring infrastructure spending. Uh, They call that moderate uncertainty. So there is still some analysis to come on the promises that they are making here. So what is that universal tax cut that you just heard about there? They're promising that they would reduce the tax rate on income under $47,630 that will cost about $548 million in the years 2021. And then it would more than 
quadruple in the year following, hitting almost $6 billion by the end of that first four years of what would be a conservative government at that time. What about removing the GST from home energy bills? The conservatives estimate this would save the average household in Canada about $100 in 2020. It would cost about $1.3 billion in 2021 and then around the same amount every year going forward. What is this green home renovation tax credit as well that they have talked about? Well, creating that, it's a 20% refund for eco-friendly home improvements. And they say it would cost about $894 million in the years 2020 to 2021 and $687 million in its second and final year. Also, maternity and parental benefits being tax-free. They're going to do that by removing the federal income tax from the employment insurance uh, parental benefits. They're going to do it in the form of a tax credit. They say that's estimated to cost $616 million the first year, and then it would rise gradually over time. So those are some of the big ticket items in the conservative platform that, as I mentioned, is still being released right now out in Tawasin. A couple of other events that the party leaders are going to be doing. Uh, conservative leader Andrew Shear is here. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau is also in Metro Vancouver today. Uh, he's appearing in a couple of different ridings. Both of them have events you know, right into the evening, so you'll be hearing more about that uh, in the news. You know, we often talk about recycling and the issues that we have with plastics in our lives. And one of the comments that we often hear is, what about the companies that produce all this stuff? How come we don't talk about them? Ah, well, then today's list of plastic polluters is definitely something you are going to want to hear about. This is produced every year by Greenpeace Canada. Their list for this year has just come out. They have identified 240 companies in what they call their branded plastic pollution audit. Top of the list in first and second place, the companies Nestle and Tim Hortons. Let's find out more about this now. Joining us is Sarah King, the head of Greenpeace Canada's Oceans and Plastics campaign. Sarah, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. Now, tell me a little bit about how you do this. What is it that you assess? Sure. So, you know, a lot of organizations across Canada and around the world, for that matter, conduct shoreline and community cleanups on a regular basis. Um, and they usually separate the types of waste that they find and they, you know, measure either by weight or by number of items, how much paper waste they find, how much plastic waste, other types of materials. Um, but what we've done is taken that auditing process one step further and we've been looking specifically at the plastic pollution that we're finding and looking at the branded uh, plastic pollution. So identifying the companies or the labels um, compiling all that data across the country and also around the world. Uh, But for this audit, it was just across Canada. And then determining who are the top polluters. And that uh, that is what uh, our list consists of. Right. So this is literally the garbage that gets picked up. Yes. All right. So number one on the list was Nestle. Like what kind are we talking about? Like the plastic water bottles here? Yeah, water bottles are a big contributor to to the Nestle numbers. Uh, Wrappers, you know, so many of the chocolate bars that we see in the stores are actually Nestle products. Um, Nestle, the company owns a lot of different brands. Um, So, yeah, so so all of those different brands would contribute to the Nestle position. Okay, so the number two on this list was Tim Hortons. Yes. 
So Tim Hortons, you know, definitely I think many people would agree that it's Canada's most iconic uh, pollution. You know, we see the cups uh, sort of everywhere in our communities when we're driving on the highway, in our parks, on our shorelines. Um, so, so really it's cups, not just the coffee cups, but also those plastic cups um, that they use for frozen and cold drinks. Um, lids oh, and then straws, yeah. yeah. But also, they sell, you know, Tim Hortons branded, say, apple juice. Um, so we do find some of that as well. Right. Okay. And so then, also on the list, Starbucks, McDonald's, Coca Cola. I guess these are the companies that we see and deal with every single day. Are we not providing enough facilities? Do you think, Sarah, for people to put these into recycling? Well. The whole idea of recycling um, is a little bit of a myth, unfortunately. So we're currently operating in a, in a broken global recycling system. In Canada, we recycle less than 9% of plastic waste. Um, and it's really not consistent across different municipalities. Uh, so, you know, in some places, theoretically, say you can recycle um, a, a Starbucks cup, um, and then in somewhere else you can't. So it's not consistent. Um, there's a lot of confusion among customers as to what to do with, you know, all of this plastic packaging and all these items that we deal with in our daily lives. Um, so yeah, it's, it is an infrastructure issue to some extent, like there's just no way that we can process the sheer volume of single use plastics that's being pumped into the market on a daily basis. And do you think sometimes because people do get overwhelmed with those questions, they just, you know, throw it in the garbage? Probably. Um, you know, we definitely see a lot of coffee cups uh, and occasionally other items that are theoretically recyclable in waste bins. But, you know, the reality is that so much of actually what is even diverted for recycling still ends up in landfill. So even when people are doing their best and, and putting things in their blue bin or recycling, a lot of it still does go to landfill because plastic unfortunately, is actually quite a hard material to recycle. Right. Um, there are a lot of issues that come into play around contamination, around different types of plastic. So again, you know, just because something has that little logo on the product, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be turned into another plastic item like a lot of us had hoped. Right. Now, is that necessarily the case in BC? Because I know our program here is different. The onus is much more on the producers and the manufacturers of plastic. It is. So we, you know, in BC, we do have a better extended producer responsibility program. And I say better because it's, it's far from perfect. We still have a massive waste problem in, in BC. Um, and we still have a massive pollution problem. You know, we're, we're on the coast. Um, we, we get the brunt of a lot of the pollution that's coming from particularly the North Pacific. Uh, a lot of people have probably heard of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. We, um, you know, we feel the effects of that. Um, yeah, so right. it's, you know, it's uh, even though we do have a better program here, a lot still goes to landfill. And the reality is, is that, you know, say someone is is on the go on a in a rush and they've been drinking from a plastic water bottle. And so they put that, say, beside a garbage can on the street. If there's no recycling um, receptacle on the street in Vancouver, then that bottle could still be going to landfill. It's, you know, the company's sort of responsibility ends with them right. um, paying to have collection through the Blue Box program. Right. And those coffee cups, I think, are also key here, whether it is Starbucks, Tim Hortons, whatever. I, I drink tea from Tim Hortons. And so on my desk, 
I, what I do is when I finish, I take the lid off and I separate the lid to recycle it. So on my desk, there's like a stack of lids and then I take it over to the recycling and I put it in recycling. But how, what, what are we supposed to do with those cups? Well, ideally, those cups will not exist anymore is the right. reality. You know, ideally, Tim Hortons, uh, Tim Hortons would be a great uh, company to pilot a, say, a mug share program. So actually, a colleague of mine was just telling me about this this morning, that there's this concept. Um, we've, we actually have this in different parts of Canada as well, mug share program. So, um, but there's this one program in Denver where it started, it's called Vessel. So you can go into your coffee shop. Um, they give you a, uh, a reusable cup. You don't have to pay anything the first time you get it, and it has a barcode on it. And then you can keep using that cup, or you can return it at a variety of coffee shop locations, get a new one. Um, and they just keep going around and around and keep being reused. So, you know, the consumer doesn't have to pay, but if they lose the cup, they have to pay if they want another one. Um, but Tim Hortons is a great example. Starbucks, too. Uh, where there's so many of those restaurants across the country. Um, people seem to be loyal customers to those places. So, you know, having reusable cups that you can take, return um, in lieu of, uh, of um, disposable cups is really where we want to see those companies go. Right. So you want to see them place more of an emphasis on, hey, don't bring, don't make us give you a cup. Exactly. Do you, yeah. think, we're, do you think we're headed towards that? Is there, are those companies listening? They're listening, uh, but they're not making commitments to actually reduce the amount of single-use plastics that they're producing. Um, a lot of them are relying on false solutions. So both Starbucks and Tim Hortons, you know, in the last year have come out with a new lid, and they say it's recyclable. Um, but in reality, most of those lids aren't being recycled. Also, the definition of recycling. Um, you know, in Vancouver, there's a Beyond the Blue Box program where you can take so many of your different types of plastics that some of them can't go in the blue bin. But when they say recycling, they actually mean it's being burned and turned into energy of some sort. But those processes are still polluting. They are still very problematic. So it's still not this idea that we think of a lid being turned into a lid or a lid being turned into another form of packaging. It's actually being burned in a lot of cases. So um, that's why we really need them to not be trying to just keep producing disposables in different formats, but rather focus on refill, reuse concepts that are more part of like a circular um, economy that we need to move to. Right. All right, Sarah, listen, thank you so much for talking to us about this. Thanks a lot. That's Sarah King, the head of Greenpeace Canada's Oceans and Plastics campaign. They have just conducted uh, like a plastic audit, I guess you could call that. Uh, They call it their plastic pollution audit. They took a look at the companies that essentially they believe are responsible for putting the most plastic waste out there in the environment. They named Nestle as number one. And this is from the garbage and things that they have collected in their assessment. Nestle, Tim Hortons, Starbucks, McDonald's, Coca-Cola being the top five. I know a lot of people out there have the long weekend on their mind, right? Here we are on a Friday heading into it and we're thinking about, well, the big dinner, the good food, the people we're going to see. But not everyone is so fortunate as to enjoy a big meal this weekend. And many of those people, unfortunately, are senior citizens. The food bank helps roughly 28,000 people every week. 35% of them were seniors during the month of August. 
And from what they can see, the use of the food bank by seniors appears to be on the rise. Cynthia Bolter is the Chief Development Officer for the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. She spoke about the increase of seniors using the food bank on the John McComb Show this morning. Yeah, we're up sort of 3 to 5%, I would say, in terms of, uh, of seniors. And uh, I mean, it's always been a large part of our client base. And for the seniors, we know that really it's more than just coming for the food. There's a real social isolation component to poverty. And uh, so when they come to the food bank each week, they often come early. Uh, and they stay throughout the often the entire time we are open rather than coming and accessing their food. We have often a little hospitality area and we have our locations uh, frequently in neighborhood houses. So there's some soup or there is some coffee and tea and they can spend some time with friends as well as getting um, two or three days worth of food from the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. That is Cynthia Bolter. Uh, She was speaking on the John McComb Show this morning. She's the Chief Development Officer for the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. So we wanted to talk more about this. What is happening with seniors out there? Uh, Isabel McKenzie is the BC Seniors Advocate, and she joins us now to talk about some of the reasons why this might be happening. Thank you very much for being here. My pleasure. Good morning. Now, in the work that you have been doing, have you seen uh, increasingly kind of economically fragile seniors? Yes, there's a number of factors that uh, contribute, and certainly we see it when 35% of the food bank uh, participants are over the age of 65, but only 20% of the population is over 65. Clearly, there's a disproportionate use there and disproportionate poverty, and that's borne out when we look at the income data and all of the other indicators that seniors, by and large, have a much lower income than people who are younger than the age of 65. Compounding that, Simi, is that once you reach the age of 65, the percentage of people that have benefit coverage for things like dental, eyeglasses, mm-hmm. hearing aids, people under, 65% of the population under 65 has some benefit coverage for that, probably through their workplace. That drops by half to just around 35% of people over 65. So now, not only has my income dropped, but so have um, the benefits I had that paid for things that I now am increasingly going to need, like hearing aids, dental care, eyeglasses, the number of prescription drugs I need goes up. We do have fair pharmacare. It's helpful, um, but it still requires a deductible and a co-payment for most people, although not the the poorest of, of our seniors. And then in the Lower Mainland, we've got this compounding issue around rental rates. And, you know, one of the good pieces of news is that uh, most seniors are homeowners. That's good news. The bad news is if you're a senior and you're a renter, you're disproportionately poorer, mainly because you've probably been a renter all of your life. Right. I guess I'm also curious, like the thing about the benefits gets me because you're not, they're not available to you just at that part of your life when you actually need those things. Yes. And it's one of the, uh, British Columbia has no program that provides any benefits to anybody in any systemic way. Um, no, no province offers everything. Um, some provinces have 
variations and bits and pieces and some is available in some areas of the province and not like through community health centers in Ontario type of thing. And I think it's something that we really need to look at, which is how are we going to meet this growing need, hearing aids, eyeglasses, dental care, for these group of seniors who, first of all, they don't have the benefits And we know that through the study that we've done that the people who don't have the benefits disproportionately also have lower incomes. And so I don't have benefit coverage, and by the way, I don't have any money. Don't forget, 28% of seniors in this province are on the Guaranteed Income Supplement, the GIS, uh, which which means that their incomes... Are, are lower than 24000 a year. And the average income for the lowest 20% is $18,000 a year. That's 20% of seniors in this province, Simi. That's almost 200 and some thousand um, that are living on an average income of about $18,000 a year. That's way below a full-time job at minimum wage. That Those are some really startling statistics. Then I guess with the rental crunch, then it's, it's gotten to be very, very difficult for seniors. Are we doing anything to help? We do have the Shelter Aid for Elderly Renters program. Uh, most people know it by the term SAFER. It's a good program. It does give a rent supplement based on your income and your rent. It has been increased in the last year. Uh, but the cap, the amount of rent that we will subsidize is far below what the market rent is. So it's just over $800 a month, for example, in Vancouver. And I think that most of your listeners would find it very difficult to find a place to rent for, uh, you know, just over $800. So you're sort of on your own for the amount above that. Uh, You don't get any subsidy on it. And one of the challenges is the cost, because every year the number of people claiming safer increases. And what we should be noticing is that the increase in people claiming safer is exceeding the percentage of increase in the population that's eligible. Right. So what what that's telling us, Simi, is that as we move into the future, a greater percentage of our seniors are finding it difficult to make their rent than in the past. So not only do you have growth by virtue of the numbers, you also have growth by virtue of the percentage of that number is also growing. Isabel, thank you so much for joining us on this today. My pleasure. Thank you very much for your interest in me. It's very interesting. That's Isabel McKenzie, BC Seniors Advocate, talking about seniors continually being squeezed in this province. If you'd like to weigh in, simi at cknw.com. Well, the questions have already started coming in for Karen McSherry, who is back with us, of course, for Thanksgiving. Hi, Karen. Hi, Simi. How are you? I'm ready for pumpkin pie and turkey. Uh, Aren't we all, right? And you've brought a great recipe for us that we're going to get to in just a moment. But first, so what does Thanksgiving dinner at Karen McSherry's house look like? Um... Probably the same as everybody else's, where it's just chaos, and you just wish that it would just all I come meant together. The table. I didn't mean to get oh, into the, the deep ta- psychological oh. issues. I okay, meant chaos. <laughs> uh, my table is all full of little um, pumpkins, the mini, the decorative little pumpkins. Oh, so I got white so ones, cute. and then I'm going to spray paint the orange ones gold, and then I'm going to make everything white with gold. Nice. And those white pumpkins are really popular yeah, right I know, now. They're I see so them everywhere. Cute, right? Yeah. And then I'm going to use the pumpkins as the place card settings. Nice. So you can put people's yeah, names put their little on name them? on top of the pumpkin and then they can take the pumpkin home. Not that they want it, but they're getting it. 
<laughs> well, there's always the compost bin, Karen. Yes. That'll work too. Uh, so, okay. So then what do you make though? Like, is there like a standard dinner that Me, you have to my make? My standard dinner is there's no appetizers. There's no bread. Thank There's you. There's no salad. I just had this discussion with my daughter last night at the uh, Costco when we were shopping. I said, should I get appetizers? Should I get something? She was like, are you crazy? No. 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 It is the time where you just load up on everything right. there. And it is um, the turkey. It's the stuffing. It's the gravy. Then it's all your sides. And the sides are the most important. And so my sides are the, I do the uh, rutabaga and sweet oh, potato mash, and then I don't even like rutabaga, but I make it right by adding a cup of frizzled shallots in, and then that just transforms the whole thing into deliciousness. I can see why that would, and it just infuses that and makes it. Oh yeah, so good. I'm already do, looking yeah, forward to it. Yeah, I love that part. Um, mashed potatoes, of course. Um, do you I use do, cream or cream cheese? Like, what do you put in your mashed potatoes? I do. Um, Milk and sometimes I butter milk and if you really want to make it milk. good, she meant masca- butter and milk. Mascarpone not- <gasps> just take it over the top. Uh, yeah, really, really good, really good. Um, then I do the cauliflower and uh, always everybody loves the cheese sauce, but in my la- latest book I do one where it's the entire head of cauliflower and I did it on Global last weekend. Yeah. So you steam a whole head of cauliflower and then let it cool and then put it on a baking tray and mix together mayonnaise, Dijon mustard, Parmesan cheese, and a bit of garlic. And then you make that paste wrap like it, slather all, it all over slather the slather it yeah. all over the cauliflower into the oven and then broil it and it all bubbles and then you bring it to the table and it's this great big head of bubbly goodness and you just cut into it because it all falls apart as soon as you cut into it and just for a change and it, you can do it ahead and that's what people want give me things i can do because you can mix up the goo ahead and you can cook the cauliflower Two head days ahead, ahead. No problem. I should have started this yesterday. Here, I thought I was great and going to the grocery store <laughs> yesterday. Turns out I should have been cooking yesterday. It's going to be pandemonium <laughs> everywhere. But I should have been cooking yesterday is what I sh- I went because I have to make for dessert. Uh, for dessert. What do you make for dessert? I'm going to do a pecan tart that I just told you about. Yes, no, tell everybody and, else. You okay. told me. So it's a great, I should, I'll, I'll post it up. So it's, a, okay. it's a easy, easy. It's like two ingredients. So you whip two cups of heavy cream with uh, good vanilla and some sugar. And then you toast three cups of pecans and then you grind them in your food processor. And then you mix those two ingredients only together. And then you put them into a pre-baked shell and you bake it at 375 for 25 minutes. Pecan pie, but not with that syrupy. I'm sorry. That's it? That's it. You mix ground pecans with whipped cream and you bake it and that's it? That's it. And a nice crust. Don't forget, you have to make the pastry crust. Oh, I thought that kind of was the crust. The no, way no, you described no, no, it. no. You pour that mixture into the pie shell oh. and bake. That's okay. I've so never you, seen or heard that before. So if you buy a good pie shell, then that's a super easy dessert. No kidding. And that's it's an easy just dessert. yum, yum. I do pumpkin cheesecake. Um, I know. You- uh, I was really tempted yesterday by the stacks of that Costco pumpkin pie that they have. And I know you don't go there, so I'm just telling you. Lots of people do, and they know what I'm talking no, about. No, I do go for certain things. And they have, they I just wouldn't buy pie there. Apple crumble pie, and then they had pumpkin pie. But I said, no, I'm going to make pumpkin cheesecake, so that's what's coming I'm up I'm very happy weekend. to hear that. I would be sad <laughs> if you bought pumpkin pie there. Let's talk uh, the number one choice of people on our hot question of the day today, Karen. We asked people, you know, what's your favorite traditional side that goes with dinner? Was it mashed potatoes? Brussels sprouts for Karen. 
<laughs> and stuffing, or is it something else? By far, 63% of the people who voted have said stuffing slash dressing. Whoa. Yeah, which is great because you brought a recipe. Yes. Now tell me about this recipe. So this is my grand, my, my mom's recipe, okay. and it was her mom's recipe, and so it's just been passed down and passed down, and it's pretty, it's a basic recipe, and then at the end, I'll tell you all the ways that you can personalize it for the likes of your family. Okay. So, super easy. Butter in a pot, um, an onion, a small onion, and uh, four stalks of celery dice. So, make sure the dice is small. Very small, And yeah. we're going to sweat that, and lid on. It's really important, lid on, because if you leave the lid off, it will brown. And when you brown it, it takes on a different flavor profile. And that's not what you want. You want it just to sweat down and be really soft. Okay. To that, you are going to add four cups of breadcrumbs. And now, this isn't something that you go buy. Like, do you save the little ends of the bread? You know, when you cut it, I freeze my bread so that it's always fresh. I'm not going to lie. I actually bought ciabatta just to make the breadcrumbs. Did bread you? Okay. Well, from. that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. I have lots of ends of bread, like the taro ends of bread and right. this and that. If you have a leftover hamburger bun and you're not going to use it because one's going to do you no good, but you couldn't throw it out. Put all that in your food processor and make crumbs. Not Uh. like powdery crumbs, but crumbs that, you know, chunky, chunky crumbs, but not the size of like a crouton. That's too big. And then what you're going to do is you're going to fold the onion celery butter mixture into the crumbs with a teaspoon of poultry seasoning. Don't go crazy on the seasoning because it's overpowering. I I know, do as much as you like, but don't do too much because then that's all you'll taste. Okay, so then minimum one teaspoon poultry seasoning. But you could do a little bit more if you really like it. Simi likes it. She's definitely doing more. And then start (laughs) with a half a cup of chicken stock and then mix it in with your hands. You do not want the stuffing to be wet because when you put it in the bird, all the juices of the bird are going to sort of permeate the stuffing. Okay. So if you put too much chicken stock in, you're going to have like a, a, a pudgy pudding, and that's not <laughs> what you want. So start with a half a cup, and when those breadcrumbs, it depends on how dry they are, how much stock you'll put in. Okay, I raised my hand. She's to got ask her hand up. She's in grade so six. You can't obviously fit all of that into the bird. So what about saving the stock for the what you do for outside of course, the bird? Yes, of course you can. So I use cheesecloth. You can buy. Um, you can buy stuffing bags. So then you take that stuffing now and you stuff it into the stuffing bag and then push it into the chicken's rear end and you're done. When the bird is cooked, you take the bag, you pull it and all the stuffing comes out in one go and you don't have to dig around with a spoon, burn your hands. Oh, I thought that was traditional, but yes. Yeah, no. So, and if you don't have a stuffing bag, um, cheesecloth. Okay. Because they're really just bags made of cheesecloth. Um, but, we have them and they, 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 everybody loves the stuffing bags. Okay. So you do that, you bake it in there. And then I like the problem with me, I don't stuff the bird anymore. No, because it's a shorter cooking, shorter cooking time. And also people fight over that stuffing versus the one like, so inside the turkey, outside the turkey, everybody wants the inside the turkey and there's never enough of that. And then other, other oh, people feel shortchanged. The they shortchanged because they had to eat the other stuffing and I don't want people to feel that. Oh, so I just make them all eat the other one. That's a mother's solution. <laughs> squash the fight. I did squash the fight. What are the variations? So to that, you can add, um, you could add pecans. You could add oh. um, chopped apricots, cranberries, pistachios, sausage, chestnuts. So make it your own. 
and 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 create a good flavor. Like a dried fruit is a really popular thing, very European style to to put dried fruit in stuffing. Mm, I'm not a fruit and stuffing. No, and person. so then no, then sausage or chestnuts are great. I'm a sausage person. Yeah, sausage. Most like the sausage idea. Yeah. And so you wouldn't put the sausage in raw. You want to cook it. You don't have to cook it completely, but you want to cook it to render yes. out some of the fat so that your turkey stuffing doesn't take on sausage right. fat. Well, Karen McSherry is with us and she's taking your Thanksgiving cooking related questions. So you can call in 604-280-9898. I had an email actually, Karen, from Jackie who emailed me earlier and said she wanted to ask Karen a question. I have a recipe for sweet potato tarts. But I'm wondering if these can be done without pastry or what I could add to the recipe so that I don't have to use pastry. I'm oh, guessing those need pastry. Yes. If it's a tart, it, it definitely needs a pastry. If you're looking as a as a dessert, because you could do a sweet potato dessert or you could do it as a, a side dish. But if you don't want the pastry, you could take your sweet potatoes um, and cook them with a carrot and then boil that up and then mash it with some sour cream and I would put in maybe some shallots, some uh, seasoning, some herbs, and that would be a good mash. All right. Yeah, yeah, you could do that. A, there's a good, I think I have one online and it's certainly in, in my starters and sides book, Okay, which is, yeah, all side dishes. All right. Let's go to Anne, who is called in from Surrey. Hi, Anne. Hi, Anne. Uh, mine isn't a question. Mine is... Um, my grandmother used to make this interesting stuffing that everybody, nobody's ever tried it before. And Zeller's Magazine 20 years ago had a contest sending in uh, Thanksgiving recipes. And out of 150 recipes, they liked my stuffing the best. Really? Awesome. So, all right. Do Congrats. A little, do a little humble so brag, and Let's they hear They published it in the magazine. So, Grandma would take the, um, I called her Oma. <laughs> she would take the giblets out and she would put them in a small pot of water with a bay leaf and some peppercorns and she'd simmer that away while she was toasting all the bread and then she'd put um, like all your regular stuffing things your spices, your celery onions, your bread and she'd add a a pound of ground pork and she'd put the um, she'd grind up the giblets by hand, now we have a food processor she'd grind up all the giblets and she'd put three quarters of a cup of that water into the stuffing as well You know, other than the grinding up of the giblets there, Anne, that sounds a lot like my recipe, actually. <laughs> so really? No wonder it's so delicious, because <laughs> that, I was like, this sounds like exactly what I do. But Anne, that is wonderful. I'm going to try that maybe one time, grinding that up and see what kind of a taste. Does it really make a huge taste difference? It does, yeah. It's really nice. Okay, I'm going to oh. try it one day. Anne, thank you for that. Thanks, Anne. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, we have another Anne, actually, on the line uh, with a question for Karen. Hi, Anne. Oh, hi. Mine is not exactly hawk cuisine, but um, (laughs) we have our usual turkey and there's 12 people. You know what it's like in the kitchen, everybody waiting for their food. And the last thing I do, because we have roast potatoes as well as mash, because you can hear the Brit, um, we also have Yorkshire puddings. And because the Yorkshire puddings are the last to go in, um, there's something fat or something on the bottom and it sends off the smoke alarms. Right. So it's really more chaos now because (laughs) the smoke from the Yorkshire puddings. And my question is, have you ever tried to cook uh, Yorkshire puddings in a barbecue? 
Oh, that's a good question. I don't think you have the concealed heat in a barbecue like you do in an oven because you have okay. to get that pan so hot. Yes. You know what it you know what I would try? Do a, a quarter recipe and do a dry run and just I'm see if it do works. That today. Do a dry run. It's not raining out. Hallelujah. And do a quarter <laughs> of the recipe. Get that barbecue as hot as possible. Right. Get the pan in just like you would in the oven. You know, get it fiery hot. And yeah. then and the thing is is you have to be really quick to yes. to get it in and out because barbecues lose their heat rapidly. Exactly. And yes. then to get because you need that the poof to get the Yorkshires right. up to, you know, and, and, and a good Brit never wants to fail on a Yorkie. Well, and you know, I've tried to cook them beforehand and then freeze them, but oh, you know what? The They're not the same. No, exactly. No, no well, this is like the pied de resistance, but uh, for my grandkids and everything, but the smoke alarm's going off and uh, it's just pandemonium. I can understand. Yeah. All right. Well, and let us know how that goes. Okay. Happy Thanksgiving to you both. And thank you as well. Thank Bye-bye. you, Anne. Let's go to Barb, who's calling in. Hi, Barb. Hello. Hello. I love your show. Thank you very much. But just a quick question. Sure. I have a couple of friends that are vegan and they're oh. coming for dinner. And I need to find an appetizer idea. I was thinking of sweet potato appetizer, but can't really find something uh, interesting, fun, and vegan. <laughs> okay. She's trying. She's trying really hard. I can yeah. see the, the wheels you know, turning. It, it, I, I, did, I had a, a great uh, Italian feast cooking class last night, and I think this would work for you. So those little wee peppers, you know the, the mini colored peppers that you can yes. buy? They're hothouse yes. peppers. Winset Farm makes them. Anyways, what you want to do is cut those in half and take out the little vein. There's maybe three seeds in each, so it's not a big deal. Then you want to mm-hmm. take some... Um, I'll, I did it with spicy Italian sausage, but you're going to do it without. So I did chopped cranberries, quinoa, pumpkin seeds, oh. and mixed that together. I did Parmesan, but you can't do that. Mix mm-hmm. those ingredients together with some fresh um, chopped rosemary and some chopped thyme and fill the cavity of those little peppers and put mm-hmm. them in the oven and warm them and oh. it'd be delicious. Put that sausage in yours. <laughs> Thank you so much. And put some parm on yours too, hon. <laughs> also, you know what you might also bar- do, Barb, is you could do like a, vegan a platter, cheese. like a vegan platter, right? You could put yeah. the vegetables, um, some grapes on there. You can do hummus. You can do walnuts. Mm-hmm. Like Just do that as like yes. a, uh, a charcuterie board. That kind of thing, okay. but a, but a vegan version, Perfect. I think, would be nice. All right. Thank you so much. No problem. Uh, you know what? I think we're just about out of time. Kathy in Ladner, I hope you're very very quick with your question. Hi. Hi. Um, I uh, have heard that you can make dressing in individual uh, muffin tins with the bread dressing, but what would oh. you use as a binder? Okay. To keep it together. Well, the binder, it's it. Some people put it's eggs. Moist. In yeah. It, don't put an egg in. It'll taste like a. a, a an omelet, a stuffing omelet that'll gag everyone. Um, you're going to line the muffin tins with, not with foil. They don't want to touch the metal. They have to. You want cheesecloth in there at some point, and then you're going to cover it because it has to stay moist. And it, this, they don't have to stick together. Stuffing right. doesn't stick together. You're not going to get a muffin out of it. But if you want to do them individually, they will fall out, but they will never stick together. You'll get a lump. Yeah, and yet, and yet there are some recipes out there that have egg in their stuffing. You could. You, you know sure what you could do? Instead of the yolk, do the white. Just whip oh, up a little good. bit of the white just to bind it, and that will hold it. 
Okay. Kathy, thank okay. you very much for the call. Thank you. Karen, okay. thank you very much for thank being you. here. Have a nice wonderful weekend. Yes. Any other questions, you can send them my way. Simi at cknw.com. You've undoubtedly been hearing in the news um, that the fact that bus drivers and sea bus attendants and maintenance workers at Coast Mountain Bus Company have voted in favor of strike action, not by a little bit, by a lot, 99%. Uh, that was the strike mandate that they voted for last night. So what does all of this mean? What has been going on uh, and what are the big issues in this? Well, to talk more about this, we're joined now by Unifor's Western Regional Director, Gavin McGarrigal, to give us an update on this. Gavin, thank you for being here. Yeah, happy to be here, Simi. So 99% is a big number, but what does it really mean at this point? It really means our members are fed up. I mean, I do a lot of bargaining and we see very high strike mandates, but when you're talking thousands of people coming to a meeting and having a secret ballot vote and you get 99%, it sends a pretty strong message. And, you know, they just want the issues dealt with. Um, we broke away from bargaining because the company informed us they didn't have a mandate to really address the concerns. And so we went last night and got our mandate from our members. So, um, you know, we got a lot of tough bargaining ahead. What, what kind of concerns are we talking about? What are the sticking points? Well, there's all the usual things about, you know, contract language and wages and benefits, of course, are important. Um, but the thing that sort of is really a lightning rod this time is the working conditions. You know, we've seen transit ridership expand 18% between 2016 and 2018. And in the same period, we've seen overcrowded buses increase uh, 36%. And so, you know, that's a lot of stress on, on the drivers. Um, they don't really have enough what we call recovery time, which is the time at the end or, or somewhere along the route to, uh, to recharge, to go to, the, to go to the washroom, to get something to eat. You know, just normal human time uh, after dealing with a stressful job. And it's actually only measured in minutes, in some cases two, three, four minutes. Um, you know, we've all seen a lineup of 100 bus drivers or 100 passengers waiting to get on a bus. The bus pulls in and the driver's sprinting to try to get to the washroom and, you know, people are annoyed and they just don't have enough time built into the schedules. Okay, so, so we've been, what, what is the break time then? So for a bus driver, driving that route, like when do they take lunch? What are their breaks? How does this work? It's really, uh, like I said, a concept called recovery time. When transit planners design a big uh, complex system like ours where buses have to be, you know, at specific stops at specific times, really all you can do is build in a buffer to make sure that drivers can take breaks along the way. Sometimes it's a depot, sometimes it's in between. And, of course, if there's any kind of congestion or, you know, extra passengers or, you know, assistance with the elderly or something like that, uh, or even just they haven't built in enough time, they don't have those few minutes. Because most of our members are focused on serving the passengers and the public, what they try and do is keep the schedule as, mu as best they can, but it's at their expense. TransLink uh, just won an award uh, this summer for best system in North America, and a part of that is on-time service, but our members are saying it's, uh, it's on their backs, and all they want to do is have sufficient time to serve the public uh, with enough buses and enough service and, you know, take some reasonable breaks. So would you say that's the biggest issue then? Yeah, I think that's the lightning rod issue that people are just completely fed up with. Um, there's, you know, we heard a lot from our members yesterday. There were thousands of them that showed up, and, you know, they were very clear about a whole host of concerns. But I think the one thing that is really jumping out is is that they're saying, you know, there needs to be a complete system reset in terms of how they actually allocate service hours to make sure that people are getting the rest that they need and also that there's some kind of penalty if the employer doesn't live up to it. We see a lot of sheets out there that describe runs that are not, in fact, accurate. And like what? What do you mean? 
So they'll say, you know, you have 18 minutes recovery time on this run, and time and again it'll come in at two or three or four minutes, and our members go and report that to supervisors, and it just falls on deaf ears. Or if it gets fixed on this particular run, it pops up somewhere else the next day. It's like playing a game of whack-a-mole, and uh, the members are sick and tired of it. They're saying it's a system design flaw, not, uh, not their own individual efforts. Right. Okay, so like, there's no lunch then for a bus driver, essentially, right? Like they, they forego that. Right. They have, you know, they, and you also have to think about the pattern of traffic too, right? You have rush hours in the morning and the evening. So it's not just that they're working a particularly straight block too. In many cases, their days are split up all over the place. So they're doing a few hours in the morning and a few hours in the afternoon. So it's just that time when you've come through a route to be able to, to reset, recharge, you know, go to the bathroom. And, you know, sometimes they get breaks, sometimes they don't. But overall, they're just feeling uh, overworked and, uh, and overstressed. And, okay, so next time there's more contract negotiations comes up next week. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, we're back at the table October 15, 16, and 17. And we're hoping for a complete change in uh, approach from the company. Uh, We'll see how that session goes. If we need some more dates and things are going well, we'll look at that. Uh, But if there isn't a change, uh, a serious change in how the company approaches these issues, then uh, we'll have to look at all the options. Right. Now, the last time there was a strike, Gavin, was back in 2001, and that one went on for a long time. It did. It went on almost four months. And, um, you know, it was it was devastating to everyone, our members and the public. And, um, you know, it led to political changes, I think, down the road. But the system is so much bigger now, too. Um, you know, I think the amount of people that took place in our strike vote yesterday was greater than the entire total of the workers uh, in that dispute back in 2001. There's a lot more people here, a lot more runs. So we don't want to see a complete shutdown. But if we did, it would be uh, absolute chaos. So that's something that people get afraid of, right? When they hear this in the news, there's a lot more people reliant today on commuting than there was back in 2001. What can you say to all those people? Well, I could say that, you know, we're doing this for the passengers as well. Um, You know, those overcrowded buses, how many students and people trying to get home have sat and watched one, two, three, four full buses pass them by. Uh, We record those statistics, and uh, it's terribly frustrating for the passengers not to have the service they need. So I think whoever's planning the system and and planning the service uh, needs to realize, you know, you can't leave passengers just standing on the road while bus after bus passes them by, and nor can you overwork the driver so they don't have sufficient rest. So that's why we're saying it's not a normal round of collective bargaining. It's time for some serious uh, rethinking uh, in Coast Mountain Bus Company head offices as to how they approach these issues. Are you still fairly confident? Well, we're always confident. You have to be confident as a, as a negotiator. Um, we feel uh, really good that we have uh, solid, uh, almost unanimous support from our membership, thousands of our members. And, uh, you know, we have listened carefully to what they're telling us, and we're going to make that clear next week to the company. And they know what the issues are. It's just a question of uh, getting the mandate on their side to make sure that they can properly address the issues. All right, Gavin, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Simi. That is Gavin McGarrigal, the Unifor Western Regional Director, talking about the 5,000 unionized bus drivers, sea bus attendants, and maintenance workers who work at Coast Mountain Bus Company, and the fact that last night they voted 99% in favour of strike action. Now, contract talks resume on the 15th, so about four days from now. They have been without a contract since March the 31st, but as you heard there, the main issue does seem to be working conditions. 
So a lot of people are practicing to be prime minister, uh, including the Conservative Party leader, Andrew Scheer, because he's running late on an event where they were supposed to be announcing their campaign platform. And uh, they waiting for like 20 minutes now for this thing to start. It still not has, still has not gotten underway. It's out at Tawasin Springs. Uh, we will have that for you because we're waiting now. They are now the last major party to release their campaign platform. So there's lots of questions, obviously, about what's in it, especially since advanced voting starts today. And I think people should probably know that everybody has their platforms out. And here's a general idea of what they say before you go and cast that vote. So that is coming up. We will have it for you shortly. Uh, But right now, before we do that, we wanted to talk about things going on this weekend. Yes, we know Thanksgiving. Lots of people are going to be having a big turkey dinner. But there's other events as well that are going on. For instance, the Wally Fest is underway all of this month, actually. And our Nikki Reitmeyer had a chance to speak to Kriti Duan, who's an organizer with the Wally Fest, about what the event is all about. Kriti, can you tell me a little bit about Diwali in general? So Diwali is also known as a celebration of light. It's um, an annual festival in the South Asian calendar. It um, happens to be the new year for the South Asian community. And um, it's a festival that celebrates the victory of good over evil um, and has universal themes like light over darkness and hope over despair. There's lots of events leading up to the big holiday celebration at the end of this month. Can you tell me about some events that people may wish to check out this weekend? So this weekend, there is a cooking class at the Roundhouse Community Centre. And um, the theme for our cooking classes this year is Street Foods of India. So um, some very delicious goodies. So we have one this weekend and one on um, October 20th. We have um, a couple of... um, other very interesting collaborations coming up. Um, we have Diwali at the Museum of Anthropology, which is a super unique space and very appropriate to be celebrating culture on October 19th. That's fantastic. And I think you also have an event coming up at the end of this month with the Vancouver Canucks as well, right? Yes. So, um the Canucks on um, October the 25th, they're honoring and celebrating Diwali night. And they have um, for the halftime show, Jazzy B, who is um, pretty huge in the South Asian community as a musician doing the uh, show. And um, we have henna artists that are going to be there. Lots of free um, food throughout the event um, to celebrate Diwali. So definitely one to check out. Great. So for more information on any Diwali events that are coming up this month, where can we go online? To our website, which is diwalifest.ca. And a good way to stay in touch is through our social media channels. Um, It's at diwalifest. It's D-I-W-A-L-I-F-E-S-T. Kriti, thank you so much. Have a wonderful long weekend. Thank you. You too. Happy Thanksgiving. And happy Thanksgiving to you. That is our Nikki Reitmeyer speaking with Kriti Duwan, who is an organizer with the Wally Fest, which is underway all of this month. Lots of events happening. And as she mentioned, you can, of course, check out more uh, online if you would like to perhaps uh, spend some time doing that over the next little while.